How are we doing? Take your Bibles. Turn to 2 John. 2 John. If you're not sure where that is, go to Revelation. Hang a left. Um, and it's right there, a couple of pages before. Uh, as you're turning there, I'd like to kind of give you a lineup of what we're going to be doing here in the coming weeks and months. Uh, for those of you who are new to fullness, um, our church, this local fellowship, um, it turns 30 years old this year. Um, in April, um, we actually started meeting right about now in February, um, 30 years ago, before we kind of opened the doors to the public, uh, which we did on Easter Sunday in April of 1993. So we're coming up on a 30th anniversary, and so I want to do a couple of sermons right now, this Sunday and next Sunday, from Second John. I'll, I'll cue those up in a minute. And then we're going to do Easter for three or four weeks on uh, moving from um, death to life, which is what we celebrate here, uh, and, and then the empowerment of life in each and every one of us. And then we're going to come back to this series about fullness and what God has called us to do. So I, I've titled this series... So, I know I divided it up. I've got two sermons, then three or four in Easter, and then I'm coming back to it. I've titled this series Fullness um, 3.0 um, because I'm so clever like that. Um, <laughs> but really, uh, the idea here is that when you have a new release of a computer program, you, you build on what you've done with some changes looking to the future. You're not throwing out the old, you're just building on it. And I believe God wants to build on the foundation that he's established in this place over the last 30 years. Um, we won't look the same 10 years from now that we look today. But I do think we'll still be built on the foundation of why God established this place. And so I'd like to remind us of who we are and at the same time cast an eye to the future for where God is leading us. And hence the title, uh, Fullness 3.0. Um, and so I'm going to start by doing two sermons from 2 John. And 2 John is um, it's one of the shortest books in the Bible. It, it, it talks about truth. And for those who have been a part of Fullness for a long time, you know that we're a church that's founded on the Spirit and truth. When Jesus encounters the woman at the well. She asks him, and this has been a key passage for us, she asks him, where does the true worshiper worship? You guys say it's on this mountain. In Jerusalem, we say it's on this mountain. Where, is, where do we worship? And she just, in, in my mind, she's trying to distract Jesus from the hard truth that he's been speaking into her life about who she is and what she's done and so she asks one of those complicated theological questions to kind of divert attention from herself to something else. And Jesus, and I'm glad she does, because Jesus says the worship of God is not about a place. God is looking for the worshiper who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Spirit and truth. These two great, mighty streams come together. And it's not a 50-50 proposition. Oh, 50% of truth, 50% of spirit. It's 100% of both, spirit and truth, that come together to create both 
our hearts of worship and who we are. So you can't divorce yourself from truth, nor can you divorce yourself from the person and work of the Spirit of God in your life, because that is what God is looking for. So we, we are a church that really endeavors to fully embrace the truth of God and the Spirit of God. And today I want to talk about truth, uh, as mentioned in 2 John. When I was um, a minister of music um, in my former life um, back at First Baptist Church, Kaufman, Texas. Kaufman is a um, county seat town about 30, 40 miles outside of Dallas. Um, it, was, it was a great experience. I loved the church. I loved the people. But it was the first Baptist church of a county seat town. Um, some of you don't, you've never been to a First Baptist Church of a county seat town, uh, but it, it's, it's Baptist. Um, you know what I mean? It's real Baptist. It's as Baptist as Baptist gets. And so they asked me to come in, and um, it, it, I, Kathy and I went and saw um, the movie Jesus Revolution yesterday, um, which is really, it talks about really the last what most people would say is the last great awakening in American history so far, which is the Jesus Revolution of the late 60s, early 70s. And one of the things that that revolution introduced into church life is contemporary Christian music. Before then, there weren't drums in church. There weren't guitars. That was you know, the devil's music. So um, they let <laughs> the churches said, okay, the devil can keep that stuff, the drums especially... Just keep it, and we'll take, we'll take other, we'll do the hymns. I mean, it was, it was crazy time for those of us who are alive. We, we stand kind of in the tradition of that, but at First Baptist Church Kaufman, they didn't stand in the tradition of that. But they wanted to do something, the pastor really wanted to do something a little different and asked me to kind of integrate more, they were just called choruses at the time, um, just more, a little bit of contemporary music. And so um, I've been in Baptist life long enough to know this, this isn't going to go down well all over um, with some, because if it ain't in the hymn book, it shouldn't be sung, basically, was the idea. I mean, I'm making fun, but you, if, for those of you who were around at the time, you with me? So I thought, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go around to the Sunday school classes and I'm going to talk about kind of the theology of this. Um, so I would go around to the Sunday school classes. And the passage I was using was um, out of Ephesians about talking about psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And um, most theologians, um, music theologians, which there are some, um, would talk about uh, how psalms were songs from the Bible, scripture set to music. Uh, there was a time in church history where that's all that was sung. Uh, metrical psalms. Psalm, it had to be in the Bible or it wasn't sung. Then there came along psalms, hymns, which are what would be considered songs of human composure, but talking about God and the greatness of God. And they're kind of, hymns kind of become lasting over a period of time. And then there's spiritual songs, which are more like the, the music of the moment. Um, I don't want to say throwaway songs, but they're songs that will have a lifespan, but they mean a lot for the moment. 
I can go back 30 years, and maybe I should just do an evolution of songs we've sung at fullness, and sing for you some songs that we did 30 years ago that you'd be like, hmm, I don't know about that. But you know what? They were very meaningful to us in the moment. But I start to sing them today, and I cringe a little bit, honestly, at some of them. But at the moment, they spoke. Now, you may not know this, but some of the songs you may have even sung this morning, 30 years from now, you'll look back at that like, oh, that was, that was for the moment. God was doing stuff. We embrace it in the moment. And then there are some songs that we're singing today that will outlive us. We don't necessarily know which ones those are, but they're ones that will become meaningful. Anyway, so I went to the Sunday school class. I taught them psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. So, you know, I was teaching the Bible as best I could at the time. And James Wimpy, that was his name. I'm sure he's not alive still, so I'm going to say his name. James Wimpy, he looked up at me and he said this. He said, you know what? I don't care if it's in the Bible. I don't like it. And I don't want to do them. And I was stunned. I had no comeback. I had nothing to say to Mr. Wimpy. Because my whole life was based on the word of God. And for somebody to look at me and honestly say, I don't care if it's in the Bible. I don't want to do it. I don't like it. You know, Mr. Wimpy, he actually stands in the long line of history of people like Peter. You may say, Peter? Yeah, well, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Hey, flesh and blood is not revealed to you. revealed to you by my fathers in heaven. I'm going to have to go down to Jerusalem, and I'm going to have to suffer, and I'm going to have to die at the angry, hands of angry men. Peter takes Jesus, who is the word, aside and begins to rebuke him. Do you remember this? Begins to rebuke him and says, I, I, hey, Jesus, I don't like it. I don't care what you say. It's not going this can't, this can't to, this can't be right. And what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. To go from flesh and blood to get behind me, Satan, which I think happened in a short period of time, just shows it's not just Mr. Wimpy. It's all of us wanting to say, I don't really like that. That doesn't bless my heart. You know what? That doesn't sit well. I have a check in my spirit about that. Not if it's the truth of the word of God, you don't. You don't get to have a check on that one. You just don't. I mean, later, Peter does it again. Later, Dave and I were talking about this yesterday. Peter does it again. Peter, like three or four times, Jesus in the book of Mark talks about his death and his suffering. He comes back to it again later. And he, at, the, at the last supper, he says, you know what? And he quotes from Zechariah where he says, um, the shepherd's going to be struck and the sheep are going to scatter. All of you are going to be scattered. And Peter says, not me. I'm not one of those sheeps. Jesus is quoting the word of God and saying, this is going to be fulfilled. And Peter says, no, I don't like that word. Not me. I'm not going with that one either. Here's my thought to us. How often do we filter the word of God through? I don't really like it. I'm not going to go with that one. Don't want to do it. You know, a number of years ago, we did a thing called the Truth Project. Uh, it came out of 
What was the guy's name? Scott? Where's Scott? Where's Dale Tackett did the Truth Project. And he started off by talking about why did Jesus come? If you had to say why Jesus came to this earth, what was he doing here? What was his purpose? Why did he come to earth? And it's kind of a trick question. There are a lot of answers you could give. But Jesus clarifies it in the book of John when he's standing before Pilate. And Pilate is asking him if he's a king. And he says, Pilate says, you are a king then. Jesus talked about his kingdom. And Jesus answers him and says, you're right in saying I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, or, and for this I came into the world to do what? Testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus is saying, here's the reason I came, to testify to the truth. Now that's a broad definition, but here's my point. Truth matters. Truth matters because it's the reason Jesus came. And Pilate asked what people throughout history have also asked, well, what is truth? If we are a church who's based on the spirit and truth, don't you think it's important that we know what truth is? How do we manifest this truth? What does truth look like? I think it's incumbent on us as followers of Jesus Christ to be engaged in this quest for truth, so to speak. The church is known for many things, many of them negative, because we're people and we have trouble getting along. And so the church becomes um, challenging at times to the point where people start saying, does church really even matter? What does church matter? Now, I'll come back to that question again later. But one of the reasons they do that is because we fight over stupid stuff. Stupid stuff. Uh, Tom Rainer uh, put together a list of like 20 stupid things churches actually have fought over. And so I thought I'd share some of them with you uh, just to say, hey, this is what we've done. This is what the world sees in us. Um, they've, uh, one church had an argument over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. We don't have that problem with Craig. Uh, <laughs> It's not an issue. Scott, maybe on the other hand, we're having a problem with right now, but Craig, we don't, we don't have that. A fight over. <laughs> a fight over whether, I love this, to build a children's playground or to use the land for a cemetery. Playground, cemetery, playground. I can tell you the direction that church is headed right now. Let's be future minded. Let's go with the cemetery. A church dispute of whether or not to install restroom stall dividers in the women's restroom. I know. <laughs> How you doing? Good to see you, sister. Yeah, kind of like special time of fellowship in the women's restroom. 45-minute heated argument over the type of filing cabinet to purchase. Black or brown, two, three, or four drawers. Love it. Here's, I got more. I got tons of these because they just interest me. A fight over which picture of Jesus to put in the foyer. Well, it's the one from The Chosen. You know that. That's the only real Jesus now. So, 
A dispute in the church because the Lord's Supper had cran grape juice instead of grape juice. Now, these people were definitely Baptists because wine is not even on the list of what was appropriate to serve. <laughs> An argument over whether to have gluten-free communion bread or not. Some of you are getting more depressed and you're not laughing as much. Uh, business meeting arguments about whether the church should purchase a weed eater or not. It took them two meetings to decide, by the way, that they were going to indeed get a, get a weed eater. Argument over uh, what type of green beans the church should serve. What, what are the choices? How many different, I mean, really? My vote is none, uh, by the way. Dark chocolate, light chocolate, we can fight about that, but green beans, come on. And I love this one. An argument over whether the church should allow deviled eggs at the church meal. Oh, I don't want that devil in my church. Oh, by the way, we're having our fullness family meeting this week. If you want to bring deviled eggs, bring them on. We never have enough deviled eggs in my, in my book. And finally, I'll stop here, but I could go on all day. A disagreement over where you should use the term pot luck instead of pot blessing. Don't you find it interesting that they didn't argue about, should we even use the word pot? <laughs> or not? It's the luck or blessing thing that, you know. <laughs> I've been in some of these meetings. It's why we don't have business meetings. <laughs> this Wednesday night, we have a family meeting which is the closest thing to a business meeting we have. But we decided when we started the church, the elders and I, that we weren't going to, we'd come out of this setting. And it's not that we didn't think everybody, we, we believe in the priesthood of the believer and that everyone hears from God. But at the same time, it wasn't healthy, some of these meetings. It wasn't building up the body of Christ. So we decided once a year, we'll have a family meeting. We'll talk about what God has done financially and spiritually and in the life of the church. So if you're, a father, if you're a part of fullness, then this Wednesday night we have a family meeting which starts with potluck. Uh, it's uh, actually a chili cook-off. There are directions. That you'll get some from Scott later. But we'll have dinner down that stairs at 6 and come back up here at 7 to, to just celebrate what God has done in the life of fullness uh, over this past year. Now, here's 2 John. I'm going to move kind of quickly through it. I know you know that means nothing, but I'm going to say it anyway uh, to, to talk about what John is saying about truth because I think it's very important. And here's the big idea. Here's the big idea I want you to get, get your head around. Too often, we think of truth as a body of information to be gathered in our heads. And that's where we stop. It's just about this body of information. And John is going to point out to us that truth is about a body of information, but it's about a person, and it's about the love that we show to one another. That really, that truth is truth when it's manifested through us to love one another. Um, we come from this background of thinking that truth is just about it. We go to school. 
We gather information. We, that's what we do. We just, get, we just stuff it in. And then we think, oh, I know the right answer, so I know the truth. All the time, living lives that don't manifest the truth. As a matter of fact, John is going to get so bold in the first John to say this. If you say that you know God and hate your brother, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. That there's this truth working its way out through love that shows we've received the truth. And that's my real core tenet for the day is, how's your love life? How's the love you're manifesting? Are we arguing over stupid things? Or are we loving in spite of all that the weaknesses that we have in our lives? So here's what it says. I'm going, this week I'm going to talk about 2 John. It's only, what, 15, 13, 14, 15 verses. I'm going to talk about the first half today, which is on um, how we manifest the truth. How, how the truth works its way out through us. And then next week, I want to talk about the second half, which is protecting the truth. How do we protect our relationships? How do we protect the truth of God's word against false teachers? So here's the first part today. To the elder, to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth, which lives in them and will be with us forever. You get the point. He's big on truth here, right? You see the repetition of the idea of truth? He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, who will be with us in truth and love. And then he puts them together. And now he's going to expand on that. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command but one that we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you do what? It, it seems circular, the argument that John is making here about truth and love and love and truth. But he's trying to say they're so connected that we need to really receive it. So here are my points this morning. The first is this. It has to do with the power of love. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we've had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. There is a power in the truth. There is power in love. Back in the mid-'80s, there, um, there was this movie called Back to the Future that came out. Marty McFly and all those guys and uh, Huey Lewis in the News released this song which became like a huge hit. I'm not even sure what it has to do with the movie, but it was such a, it became the theme song. Those who were with me in the 80s, you're loving this. 
Even Huey Lewis recognizes that love changes the way you act. The theology of it is really rich. <laughs> is that, I mean, if you've listened to the words, he says it makes us act crazy. Uh, love between a man and a woman. But what I think the Bible is getting at is this greater truth that you cannot receive the truth of God, the love of God, and not be transformed in the way you act and the way that you respond to each other. That's the power of love transforming our hearts and our lives. John goes on and says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is from 1 John chapter 4. Jesus in Matthew talks about this new command, so to speak, that John is giving. It's, it's in all the Gospels. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. Love one another. Love God, love one another. Jesus says this in Matthew 5. He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father who is in heaven. Wow, now this is, you know, when Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another, you and I think, okay, well, we... I think I can do that. I think I can lovingly tolerate those who are in the church. No, it's not lovingly tolerate. It's love those who are in the church. But Jesus expands it and says, hey, if I just say to you, hey, love those who love you, what is that? Even the heathens, he's going to say, do that. You instead love your enemies. In other words, we're to manifest the love of God to the world around us. And, and, and here's how, it, just to, to let you know, I'm going to talk about the pattern of it in just a minute. This is not an impossible ask. This is not like one of those philosophical things that you say, oh, I can't really do that. I can't really love those who hate me. I can't love those who don't love me. Jesus says, if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Not even the pagans do that. Be perfect. Whew. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, there's certain passages at times that shouldn't give us pause to like say, oh my word, be perfect? How, how is this perfection manifest? He, he's talking about loving and loving those who don't love us. I don't want to preach politics, but I'm willing to go there for a moment to say, if we fall in the trap of seeing those who are different politically from us as enemies rather than people to be loved and who Christ died for, how are we different than the world? How are we different? I'm not saying you have to vote for them. I'm not saying you have to even agree with them. But don't let division and hate take over your heart. Because then you'll be no different than the world is. Instead, see everyone, Republican, Democrat, a couple of independents that are out there somewhere, see them all as someone that Jesus Christ died for. Love them. Love the world. Here's the pattern of love, by the way. I'm kind of preaching ahead here. 
And this is love, that we walk in obedience to the commands. As you've heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. 1 John 4, 9 says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. Here's the pattern. I'm going to go through it. Just take note of this. And this is all from 1 John 4. I know I'm preaching. I said I'm preaching 2 John, but it builds out of what he wrote in his first letter. This is how God showed his love among us. Love is not something hidden. Love is something that's demonstrated. Love is something that is shown. You know, it would be one thing for God in heaven to just sit back and say, you know, I love my created beings. I love my creatures. But God didn't just sit back and stay there. Instead, he showed us his love. Are we showing love to the world around us? Are we showing love to each other? Are we even showing love in our families sometimes? This is how God showed his love among us. He sent. He gave. His one and only son. Remember John. Same John that wrote John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent. He gave his one and only son. That's how much he loved us. This pattern is that we show and we show by giving. Sacrificial living plays its way out among us. Love can stand alone. Look at verse 9. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. It, it, it began with him, and now it continues through us, but it can, it can more or less, I'm trying to say, how do I say stand alone? It, it it's something that God has done in us so that it's not dependent on us. And, and here's, by standing alone, I mean, too often, love is a response to something else. And it doesn't stand alone. It's responsive to what someone else does around us. And what, what John, I think, is saying is, we can love because God loved us, but God is love. It is not a characteristic of him. He is it. He, 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 and we can be that kind of love. We can stand, his love can stand alone within us. Does that make sense? It can stand without us being responsive to something else that happens in our lives. And it's atoning. It brings people, love demonstrated, brings people back into relationship with the God who loves them. This is the pattern of love, really, that it's, it's shown, it's given, it stands, and it delivers. This is the kind of love that God has called us to manifest to the world around us. My dear friends, he says, this is the message. I like the way he closes this passage. My dear friends... My dear, dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love one another. How can we manage, how can we demonstrate this love to the world around us? And, and then 
really the final point, I've got a fourth after this, but I'm going to preach it next week. I'm just going to kind of cue you up on it. The piece of love is this. He's saying to the chosen lady and her children, oh, by the way, I didn't really comment on this. There's probably no lady. This probably isn't a woman uh, that he's writing this letter to, but rather to the church. Some have speculated whether it's the church in Ephesus. Others have speculated if it's the seven churches that John addresses in uh, Revelation 1, 2, and 3. Um, It's not known exactly, but it's most likely not a person and her children but rather the church and the members of that church. To the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. Here's my premise on this point. It is this. We, we live in a world that is seeking some measure, measure of peace. And this measure of peace cannot be found apart from the truth and love of Christ. No matter how hard you work, it's going to be shortcoming. Um, everybody who was alive and, um, on 9-11 of 2001 can remember pretty much where they were when they first heard the news. Um, some of my children were um, actually too young to remember, but um, I think Annalise was three or four. She doesn't remember, but Caleb was only like six. Every one of them, from six on up, can remember exactly where they were. They were all at school somewhere when they heard about 9-11. And for, you know, days, weeks, churches were filled with people seeking some measure of answers and peace. Now, it kind of waned away. It didn't kind of. It did wane away. But what terrorists try to do is they try to instill fear in order to disrupt a culture, right? They try to rob of peace. That is their their tool. But God is, is a God of love and of peace, And in 1 John 4, he says, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear. Where? Perfect love casts out fear. So if you want to find peace, then what's manifest in your life is this truth coming out in, in love. The way we discover true peace is in this love relationship that we have with with God. Finally, at this point, I'm going to preach next week. I really do mean finally. Um, The proof of love, the protection of love. John, at the end of this passage, will say... Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. How do we get this love? We we receive it from the Father, from the Son, and we walk it out. This truth we walk out in in love. Here's my prayer for us this morning. 
You know, I hear people more and more talk about, why should I go to church? What good is church? What is the purpose of church? And I believe that they stand in a long line of people asking the wrong question. In this way. There's an inherent implication in their question, what do I get out of it? What do I get out of this? Rather than saying, how is the love of Christ and the truth of God manifest in my life? It's manifest in the context of the people of God. That's why we go to church. That's why we're a part of a local group. Not because of what I can get. And again, if I want to go back to the apostles, um, look, look at John, for instance, the guy we're just looking at. After Jesus is resurrected and he, he's talking to Peter again, Peter is feeling the heat from Jesus and uh, he, he, he looks over at John and he says, Jesus says to Peter, you're going to be led around. Some things are going to happen. You're, not, you're going to go where you don't want to go and blah, blah, And Peter says, hey, what about him? Meaning John. And Jesus says, hey, if I want to leave him alive till I come back, what's that to you? In other words, Peter asked the wrong question. What about him? Rather than, God, how does this word manifest in my life? John does it on occasion as well without going into details. He, here's the point. We, we have to get the perspective off of ourselves because that's what truth and love does. It moves it away from just me-centric to you, them, us, we, the world, to see the love of Christ manifest around us. Francis Schaeffer, in his book, uh, The Mark of a Christian, says this. We have conferences about everything else. Who has ever heard of a conference to consider how true Christians can exhibit in practice a fidelity to the holiness of God and yet simultaneously exhibit in practice a fidelity to the love of God before a watching world? Who ever heard of sermons or writings which carefully present the practice of two principles which at first seem to work against each other? The principle of the practice of the purity of the visible church, us, in regard to doctrine and life. We have a lot of conferences on that, by the way, on theology, truth. But also at the same time, the principle of the practice of an observable love and oneness among all true Christians. Where's the conference on, hey, let's love one another? I've yet to really go to, I'm sure there are some. But there are not ones that are the ones I've heard of. Schaefer is, is trying to say, where are those? Why? Because how will the world know we're the disciples of Jesus Christ? By having the right theology. That's how. Having the right words. No, by the truth being manifest in love in our lives. 
by the love we have for one another, by the love we demonstrate to the world. So I'm going to come back to my first question this morning as we close, and it's this. How's your love life? How is love being manifest through you to those around you? You may say, you know what? This group of people, that's pretty big. I don't know. Hey, start at your house. Start with the people you live with. How are you demonstrating love to them? Hey, by the way, sometimes that's the hardest place. And by the way, also, they're the people who know you best. You can hide in here. It's hard to hide at home, isn't it? Show love to those around you. Show love to those in the body of Christ. And then as the, as the God who loves you will be manifest through you, you show love to the world around us as well. And they'll be drawn to the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you this morning for your love in our lives. We thank you, God, that you first loved us because you are love. And I pray, God, that we will not take lightly this command, this call to love each other. That we'll, we'll prove the love of God by manifesting the truth and love of God to those around us. Lord, forgive us for too often we just see truth as a body of information to be gained and instead, Lord, let it be shown. Let it be demonstrated. Lord, we thank you that we are forgiven people. I know that there are some of us sitting here right now saying, wow, my, my love for others has not been... It's not been good. It's not been high level. It hadn't even really been very existent in my life. Thank you, Lord, that we're forgiven. Thank you, Lord, that we can start anew and afresh. May we love our brothers and sisters. May it show to the world that we are yours. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.